0: our Savior, our Lord, and our life.
1: Hi again, folks. Welcome back to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. I'm John Russin, the host today and almost every day. I'm here with my dear friend, Brother in Christ, Pastor Frank Friedman. My friend, we had a wonderful time last time, didn't we? We began talking about your upcoming book, Finding God in the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. It was a powerful time, my friend, wasn't it?
2: Oh, John, anytime you talk about hurt, you instantly take the intensity up, but then when you talk about real answer, that the living
1: God wants to meet you where you are, uh, that's going to make it special. Indeed. Now, for those who might have missed the first episode, uh, last week we we gave sort of an overview, an introduction. We talked a bit about uh, uh, Frank's lifetime experience pastoring and counseling his journey through others and his personal pains. He gave a marvelously moving story about how the concept of the book began. And then we talked about uh, the surprising ministry of Jesus from Isaiah 61, not just to pay for our sin and take us to heaven, but to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prisons of those who are bound, to comfort all underlying, all who mourn. And we talked about the power of this as the true heart of the gospel message. But we want to begin today, my friend, with looking at how we respond to pain. Now, I want to begin with just a general observation. I'm not a pain expert, but I've certainly experienced my share. And it doesn't take much experience walking through this life before we are going to get hurt. Our dreams will be shattered, people will betray us, they'll break our hearts awful things can happen to us. And so we have lots of ways that we deal with that, even in the church. And I want to start our conversation today, my friend, with picking a few of those of of our favorite ways to deal with pain. The first is my, uh, one of ones I've used a lot. Oh no, please God, no, take it away. It's called denial. Hmm. So what's going on there, my friend? Well, sadly,
2: you know, the ministry comes with a lot of highs, but a lot of lows. You get the wonders of marriage, you get uh, dedicating children, you get high school graduations. And of course, you get to teach the word of God to people who want to know it, a lot of highs. But then there's the hospital visits and the deaths. And, you know, John, over and over again, throughout 40 years, I've had to be the instrument that brought bad news to a family. And so I've heard it so many times. No, no. And even though they know who I am, and they know that I'm going to speak truth, it's this can't be. And it's sad, you know, in the book, I describe it, the eyes of that person that I've just told the horrible news to, their eyes will dance around the room looking at all the other people hoping to find somebody's facial expression that will say, oh, he was joking. He didn't mean it. But they don't find it. Uh, They find confirmation. No, it is true. And yet they continue to say No. And denial, John, it's, uh, it's something we all try to do. I, some of the stuff I had growing up, I, it's not fun to hurt. I mean, if you want to hurt, there's something wrong with you, you need to go to counseling. (laughs) But since I, nobody wants to hurt, what I did in my life is I tried to stuff it down, way, way down. And that's especially the way little kids do it, who are in bad circumstances. They'll push that pain so far down that a lot of times they start to live in a fantasy world. I, in my own life, I got confronted with this when I, I think it was the second time I went to counseling. I went like five times. Uh, but the second time, this guy says to me, I'd hate to be your kids. Well, those are fighting words. I mean, I jumped out of my chair. I'm like, who are you to say that to me? I pour into my kids. One of my goals, John, was I was going to break the cycle. And he stopped. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sure you pour into your kids. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you, your example. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you're a machine. He said, when's the last time you cried? I was, I think it was June 12th, 1968. Why? But, (laughs) and that's, that's what I did. It was just like, stuff it down, pretend it doesn't exist. And you know, when you do that, you can't hide from your hurt. And what I did in my own life is I got a really hard heart. And I kind of made vows that I wasn't ever going to let anybody hurt me ever again. And when you do that, your pain has conformed you into its image, and you become a very ugly person. The buzzword I would use, John, was I was a victim, but I became a victimizer. yeah and, it's and that and that was worse because now I was doing to people what had been done to me. yeah and and it's not who I was. it's but it's who I became.
1: So um, for those of you who have, Funny t shirts. Uh, uh, my name is Cleopatra. I'm queen of denial. Uh, this is the downside <laughs> of being Cleopatra. This really does happen. Another thing I've seen, my friend, as I've done some counseling, is that people tend to, they either minimize what happened to them. Mm. Well, you know, uh, they were raised by a, a, in a miserable household too. So what do you expect? So they minimize it or mm-hmm. they rescript it. You no, know, almost mm-hmm. like they, they draw, they draw different guidelines around it so that it doesn't quite seem so bad mm. because uh, they want the pain to go away. The pain doesn't go away. How could this have happened to me? They ask. Oh, I know it's because they had a crappy childhood too. So of course mm-hmm. they did this to me or, you know, it didn't really happen that way. God's he's waving his magic wand that it's rescripting and it's now pleasant and what have you, and all of that is are, are just fancy ways of denial, aren't they?
2: Yes, John, and it's sneaky. You know, that Jesus said the truth will set you free. But that's only true if you embrace the truth. And the flip side is if you believe a lie, you're gonna stay bound. And you know, as I was listening to you, a memory popped in my brain. I remember this one little girl, she had been sexually abused by her father. And she continued to tell me that, well, he was just doing to me what had been done to him. And so she could not embrace the reality of what her father had done to her. And her motive, I trust you see, was self-protection. Yes. Because if she really admitted what he had done, here's the lie. It will hurt too much. And John, that is one of the biggest lies ever sold to humanity, but there are millions and millions of people locked into that lie. There is nothing that can ever hurt too much because that would make our hurt bigger than God. It's a lie. It has to be refuted. And then I have to embrace my pain and invite God into it and let him prove to me that he's greater than my pain. But that will never
1: happen if I don't embrace it. My goodness, Frank, did you realize that you just laid out four of the most difficult things that a child of God might have to do? Embrace their pain. Be honest about how it hurt them. Acknowledge that God is bigger than have the courage to bring it to him. Not a one of those is an easy step, is it?
2: Not any single one of them, especially because nobody likes to hurt. But when we try to deny it, try to explain it away, resort to drugs or alcohol or just get busy. I remember a person in my office and they were a sexual abuse victim and their pastor told him, you need to get your eyes off yourself and get a ministry. (laughs) John, (laughs) I mean, go get busy so you don't think about it. Yeah, you know, my goodness, I'd like to slap that guy in Jesus name. He's adding more wound to the wound and he's sending that person down a path that will never bring healing. But this is what happens. And, you know, when I first wrote the book, I sent it to a dear friend of ours, you know him very well, Steve Pettit. And there's a whole chapter in there on how the church does this to people. It's titled Faulty Friends with Worthless Words. You know, they don't know how to minister to us. But what Steve said to me was this. He said, Frank, it's a great book. But in that chapter, you're far too angry. And boy, it stung me. But you know what, Johnny was right. And I wasn't going to be able to. Change people by being angry at them. So I rewrote the chapter. And I kind of tried to communicate, you know, just as we don't know what to do when we get hurt, because hurt is an intruder into our world through the fall in the garden. Yes. So the rest of the people in this world don't know how to help. Because hurt is an invader so they're not just like we're not equipped to deal with the hurt they're not equipped to help us we're both bringing to the table what we have and without God what we have is not going to be enough so I tried to write with more compassion for those people um, but boy they can
1: really do some damage (laughs) they sure can they certainly can because they they don't know any better and you know There's a part of me that gets angry too, because you want to be gracious and forgiving and recognize, well, you know, they don't know any better, but that's the same as excusing an abuser in my mind. Scripture's right there. They have the Holy spirit. And if they'd have the courage to look father would begin to open their eyes. So I share some of your anger, but I do appreciate you working so hard to tone it down. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here's another one. Um, Let's talk about minimizing the pain. It's easy to look around and see someone who's got things worse than you. And so we're tempted to say to ourselves, well, my pain hurts, but you know, it can't be that bad. After all, Mm -hmm. look at what she's doing or look at what's happened to him. My goodness, I should just shut up and deal with it. So the uh, setting our eyes on others and not on Jesus when we deal with our pain uh, is a real subtle but very crippling lie, isn't it?
2: Very deceitful, very self-deceitful. And again, it's another means of self-protection. When I look at them, boy, their pain is worse, so mine must not be as bad. We tell people in the counseling arena when they pull that stuff, John, don't you ever minimize your pain. Your pain is pain to you, and you were never designed in your original creation to have pain. If you don't embrace it, you'll never deal with it. If you never deal with it, no matter how much you explain it away, you'll be in bondage the rest of your life. Amen. You need to love yourself enough to not want to be in bondage. That's what Jesus said through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5. We love our wives, but the way we love ourselves, you have to have a enough self-value, recognizing you're a child of God. You know, in Philippians, it says, don't look on your own interests only. Yes. That, that means you're supposed to look on your own interests. That's right. Just don't become consumed with your own interests. Make That's sure right. You continue to reach out to others, too. You know, so, Jesus,
1: Jesus said, uh, jumping in on that same thought, says, you know, you're to love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And here's the one, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So how can you love your neighbor with the love of God when you are mistreating yourself by doing one or maybe all of these tricks uh, to get around your pain? There's no way that you're going to be as effective as you could be in ministering the life of Christ because you're not honest with yourself. And so you can't be honest with others. It's exactly right, yeah. Well, as we face this life, my friend, we have a tendency to get overwhelmed, and so uh, we bring out what I call the heavy artillery, and we got to get some relief. So we move to things you know, we move to, to chemicals, we move to alcohol, uh, and you know, the church tends to look down at a lot of that, we see that as a sign of weakness. But we both have as among our favorite verses, Proverbs 31. And this is not to beat up our wives with how we think they should behave, a Proverbs 31 woman. My friend, you and I have laughed about this, that we are Proverbs 31 men. And we're talking about Proverbs 31, 6 and 7, which says, Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. So there's a place for cutting the edge off the shock and the numbness. Uh, It doesn't last, but there is a place for, for a little bit of help through this approach. What do you think about that? Am I off base or am I on target?
2: I'm so glad you brought that up. There are so many Christians, first of all, who think that going to the doctor for emotional struggles and getting antidepressants and anti-anxiety medicines is a sign of weakness. They also see it as a lack of faith and then they minister more bondage to those people and yet when somebody has a physical affliction you know an appendix or cancer we're fine sending those people to the doctor and letting the doctor deal with them in fact when somebody has a surgery we'll give them a couple of years to heal but when it comes to emotional distress what's wrong with you have some faith um And it's amazing, John. I'll ask people all the time, hey, do you know Proverbs 31? Oh yes, the godly woman chapter. I say, have you ever read those first couple of verses? (laughs) Yeah, And they don't even know they're in there. And the Holy Spirit put those in there, John, as the ancient worlds, Prozac, lithium. uh, Lexapro. Yeah, Lexapro, Xanax. Yes. uh, That's all they had in their arsenal. And this is so important because, you know, I deal very closely with a doctor that I, in my counseling, a lot of times I will send people to him because what they've gone through has left them so emotionally disturbed, they can't hear what I'm saying. Yes, And they need some help to be able to ease some of that emotional pain so they can hear me. And by the same token, he'll give somebody some medicine sometimes, but he'll say, you know what? This isn't a long-term fix. You need to go see my friend over there and let him teach you some truth. And so certainly, John, we don't want to ever see those things become a long-term replacement for the healing power of the truth of the word as appropriated by the Holy Spirit. But they are certainly advocated when somebody is just... Just beaten
1: up so bad, they can't hear us. Amen. If I've got a broken leg, my friend, I want you to give me that crutch in your attic until (laughs) I can walk again. And I think that's a great picture. You know, my youngest daughter is a psychiatrist in the army. And if you want to talk about uh, post-trauma stress and the impact it has on people, Mm -hmm. uh, talk to someone who does that for a living. Mm. Uh, they see a never-ending stream of people who, who are engaged in circumstances, doing things that, frankly, they are ill-equipped. They might be equipped physically, but emotionally and mentally, they are ill-equipped to do uh, what the military at times calls on them to do. And they come back damaged, broken, I grew up during the Vietnam War era. Mm. I have a cousin who has PTSD, and he just came back, and he was never the same. Uh, because they just ignored it. They called it shell shock in World War II. My father had shell shock. Yeah. He struggled with mental illness, didn't get any help. Uh, and so this is real. And just because you're not in the Battle of the Bulge, in a tank like my father was, or in Vietnam, in the battlefield like my cousin, uh, doesn't mean that the trauma you're feeling doesn't wound you as deeply as any of those others. Yep, exactly right.
2: And we never minimize our pain. We were never designed for pain in the first place.
1: Amen. So, so. But unfortunately, when our churches are working so hard to be seminaries and don't give much lip service to being hospitals, we have no choice, really. The largest percentage of us, no choice to except just to stuff it, minimize it, deny it. Sometimes we do something really hurtful. We tend to see ourselves as a victim. And so everything that happens to us comes through a, a, a mesh, a filter of our victimhood. And when that happens, boy, I know people like that, they become just miserable to be around because everything that happens is directed at them and they're just they're just awful. Have you been around victims, Frank? Yeah, I used to look at one in the mirror. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, and,
2: and that's where the message of the New Covenant is so important, because where are we going to get our identity? And, you know, we talk about this, John, you and I, all the time on these podcasts. People get identity out of their job. They call themselves a doctor, or a lawyer, or a professor. Uh, they get their identity out of their behavior. I'm a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a sexual addict. Now there's only two identities in the world the identity of being in an Adam and the identity of being in Christ and we need to get that as identity established because just like people get identities out of their behavior and their profession they will get an identity out of the pain they've been through and they will be calling themselves victims and if that's your identity you're never going to heal That's right. And people aren't going to want to be around you because you're such a Debbie Downer. And then when that happens and people don't want to be around you, it affirms your identity as a victim. (laughs) Yeah. And and so it's just a spiral down. You know, that's why I say I used to be a victim, John. I'm not anymore. I used to be a victimizer. I'm working on that one. Sometimes that flesh will pop up. But I'm a child of God who happened to have some things happen to him that I would rather not have happened, but I'm a child of God. See, that's what has to come
1: first. Right. It often does. Well, try walking into any local church and expressing whatever deep pain you have, and then marking the faces of those you meet. Uh, Over the years, you know, you and I have both done this. Uh, The church is largely ill-equipped to respond to this. And they'll do things like this. Oh, well. Romans chapter eight says, all things work together for good. Well, I love that verse, but I hate it in that circumstance. It just doesn't, it's just a a blow off. It's a tactless truth that means nothing to me. It's hollow. It's empty. Other people I see, Frank, are uh, what I call the spiritual detectives. They look for the cause. They ask, hmm, how did this happen? Your pain is your pain, but to me, it's a puzzle that I want to solve, so that is common too, and here's the third one I've seen, I'm going to ask you to comment on all these at the end, the third one is the type of spiritual prosecutors, well, if this happened to you, there must be sin in your life, this is what's called divine retribution, you should study up on it, remember Moses said in Numbers 32, be sure your sin will find you out, and so, you know, I just want to choke people when I hear these things and I see these behaviors. So you've been through all these, as have I, give us your perspectives. (laughs) Well, you know, the bottom
2: line, John, is they're not fulfilling a very simple verse. Speak the truth in love. (laughs) Forget the second part. That's forgetting the second part. That's exactly right. It's a glorious truth that all things work together for good, but. When somebody has just lost a child, lost a spouse, uh, you know, you've just found out that your daughter is pregnant, things that are so hurtful. Uh, They don't need to hear all things work together for good. In fact, you know what? They really don't need to hear any words. Probably the best thing would be just to sit with them, love them, and be there. Can I share a story, John? Sure. Go right Uh, ahead. we got some time. The Holy Spirit taught me this, and I have to say that because I probably wouldn't have learned it myself. I was such a knowledge hound, but I was working at USC Med Center in the chaplain's office and I was leaving for the day. I was in the burn ward, the cancer ward, pretty tough stuff. And I'm tired, I wanna go home. And I turned the corner and bumped into a childhood friend. And he said, I said, wow, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I'm a neurosurgeon which knew he was going to be, <laughs> he said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm a chaplain. He went, you? <laughs> <laughs> so we, we quickly shared some stories of how our lives had ended up. And then he said, well, this is amazing. I bumped into you. I've got a patient who's going to die tonight, probably. And the family's torn up. Would you go up there? I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I went up there, John. I walked into the room. There was a man very just struggling for breath, woman leaning over him, weeping. She looked back at me and she said, are you a doctor? And I said, no, ma'am. I'm from the chaplain's office. And she said, what can you do? Now, John, I I felt like leaving. Uh, Leave your card. You know, well, if you need me, here's my card. (laughs) Right. But the Holy Spirit just said sit down and shut up so i did and i sat there john it was over 45 minutes i just sat there which if you you know me that's not me
1: yes and it's not she
2: she kept looking over her shoulder at me glaring at me and finally after about 45 minutes she said my daddy's gonna die and as i know i said uh, dr greg told me and asked me to come up here she said is he gonna go to heaven And I said, I I don't know, baby, unless he's accepted Christ. Has he received Christ as his Lord and Savior? She said, I don't think so. I said, well, would you like me to share with him? So she left the room. I shook him awake. I shared Christ. He prayed. He squeezed my hand to affirm that he believed. And then he died. I followed up with the family, did the funeral. Two weeks later, got to lead the rest of the family to Christ. And John... It was all because I shut up (laughs) and just sat there and earned the right for somebody to say, do you have some words for me? Uh, I've, I've never forgotten that, John. Uh, but for some reason, like you say, we feel maybe the holdover of we shall be as God that we've got to have all the answers. Yes. And uh, maybe the holdover for those detectives, you know, we got to find out what the sin is here. Uh, that happened to me. You know, when Avery was born, this guy called up and he said, is she going to live? And I said, we don't know. It's a rare disease. Well, if she, ever, if she lives, is she ever going to walk or talk? I said, again, we don't know. He said, well, I'm so sorry. And I said, you know, thank you. And then he asked, have you considered the possibility of sin? <laughs> oh, John, you know, I'm not happy about this. I wish I'd handled it differently. I really do. But I told him, you're fortunate this is a phone call. And he said, what do you mean? I said, if you're in my office right now, you might be looking up at me from the floor because I'd have popped you. And he said, what do you mean? And I, as I explained to him, I said, the first thing Janet and I did when that baby was born, what did we do? You know, it's, it's we live in, in with this vestige in Adam of guilt and responsibility and over-responsibility. And, and I said, you just don't do that to hurting people. And I, I, maybe I'm not sorry, because maybe he'll never do it again. Does anybody else, you know? Um, but there's a lot of those detectives and prosecutors and answer men. And you know, it's not what hurting people need.
1: No, it's really not. And as I'm listening to you talk, my friend, my mind goes to the book of Job. Now, I I must confess to you and to our listeners that when I first became a a believer and I purposed to read through scripture from beginning to end, uh, I thought I'd chug through some pretty boring histories and genealogies. But boy, when I got to Job... Uh, my phrase for Job was bitter waters in a thirsty land, and wow. I regret those words so deeply because as I look back now in the book of Job, I see such a profound lesson for life and how mm. to deal with the traumas and the pains of life. Uh, if you're not familiar, listeners, with the book of Job, please take a time to read it. Uh, Job has 10 children and they die suddenly. And so he sits there with his friends and he's got uh, a handful of friends who sit around them and he's grieving in sackcloth and ashes. And Frank, what do they do for the first bunch of days? How do they handle the grief of their friend?
2: They did a great job in the beginning. They just sat down and they put on the sackcloth and ashes too. Which Isn't that wonderful? We're in this with you, Job. But then they got impatient. Yeah. <laughs> and then they started, well, this doesn't happen to somebody unless they sin. And maybe you're not so righteous as you think you are. When are you going to get honest? And, and pretty soon, you know, Job's friends were friendly no more.
1: Yeah, they and, became uh, detectives and then they became yep.
2: prosecutors. Yeah. And, uh, you know, John, this is probably a good time because people are probably thinking then what do i say uh this would be the what i would tell you when you come to hurting people just say i love you and i'm praying for you and that's enough
1: yeah that's enough i have just hung with people just so they're not alone and frankly, there's nothing we can say sometimes, nothing we can do, certainly not at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, there may be some things we can do or say later, but you you said this right on the money earlier, my friend, you've got to earn the right mm-hmm. to, to minister in any way to these hurting people. They have to know that you care for them, that you've put on sackcloth and ashes too, and you have their best interest at your heart because frankly you and I both know that when we come together with people who who are hurting to be honest sometimes our biggest motive is to get them fixed so that we won't have to be so uncomfortable around them (laughs) because you know hurting people they're tough to be around man Debbie Downers are really rugged when, uh, when you don't want a Debbie Downer and we want them to get fixed so that our life will be back to normal our relationship will be back to normal Mm-hmm. But you know, this is, this is not what's happened to them and they want to be normal too. Mm-hmm. But that's not where they are right now. And so will you love them? Mm-hmm. Will you make that hard choice to love them? Uh, even if you don't know how to love them, just trust your father. He will show you mm-hmm. just to sit and listen and to earn their trust. You know, uh, what a powerful lesson. I no longer look at the book of Job as bitter waters in a thirsty land and father I apologize to you and to the entire world anyone who's ever heard me say that uh, I regret saying those words thank you for forgiving me uh, but that wasn't the last word though was it our father stepped in and brought some clarity into Job's situation uh, in your book you talk about a whole mess of questions that uh, the Lord brought forward for Job to consider So talk a little bit about that and then where Job wound up at the very end. Yeah, it's, it's
2: amazing, John. Um, in around chapter 27, Job makes this statement. He said, that's it. I will never know joy again for the rest of my life. Uh, you know, when we're hurting, we can feel like that. And, um, He finally gets up enough gumption to cry out to God. And he's not angry or bitter or uh, demanding. He just wants to know, what is this all about? And God makes a great statement. He says, oh, so you want to have a man-to-man talk? Yeah. (laughs) Gird up your belt buckle, big boy. We're going to have a talk. And then it's amazing. God begins to ask Job questions. And, you know, John, I always thought it was like 10, 12, 14 questions.
0: You know, I'd read it,
2: but I never really dug into it. And there's actually 77 questions God asked Job. That's mind boggling. And not a one of them can be answered. And in not a one of them is God looking for an answer. Uh, Some of the questions. Were you there, Job, when I put the earth in the sky and hung it in nothing? Were you there when I called every star by its name? Were you there when I gave the horse his mane? You know, just 77 of these. And they're all designed not for Job to answer, but to go, whoa. I understand now who I'm dealing with. Because that's exactly how Job finally responds. He says, I used to say I knew you, but now I see. My thesis in this, John, is that when you sit down in your pain, instead of hiding from it, manipulating it away, explaining it away, anesthetizing it, you will find God in a way you never knew him. You will. It's his promise. And you know what? Finding him is enough.
1: Yes. It's enough. You know, we used to uh, use this phrase some time ago that uh, when you have the courage to assess your pain, accept your pain, talk about it with our father and trust him through it. He promises that we're going to dance again. You know, there'll be a measure of restoration in life, just look at the end of, chap, end of Job. He didn't get those 10, but he got a whole mess more. And he carried that pain to the grave. But not only did he have the joy of those first 10, but he had the joy of all the other subsequent children and all the blessings through all those years. And most importantly, he had a picture of his father in heaven that he never had before that Mm. made the life with all those other children and all those years, so much more sweet, Mm. so much more sweet. Yeah. My friend, you wound up that section of the book by asking a couple of questions and we're going to finish with this. You ask the questions, you know, what, what do pretty people need? And you say, do they need sympathy? Well, yeah, you can kind of feel sorry for them, but, Frankly, that doesn't go very far. Should we feel empathy for them? Well, that's possible. If you've endured a loss or a pain similar to what they have, you know exactly what they're going through, or kind of exactly what they're Mm -hmm. going through. And that's a little more intimate. But you say this word, what they really need more than anything is compassion. Enlarge on that thought, and then we'll wrap up.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's a that's a powerful set of thoughts, John. Hurting people don't want sympathy. In fact, when you you give people sympathy, they might even get mad. I don't want your sympathy. I've heard that sometimes. Sympathy means I feel sorry for you. Well, if I'm hurting, oh joy, thank you for feeling sorry for me. Yeah. It doesn't do anything for me. Empathy is so much better. That's the person that tries to feel what I feel. The problem is they can't. Even if they had the same thing happen 10 years earlier, they're not going through it right now the way I am. So empathy is better, but compassion, that's the key. It's the verb form of love. It means I have love for you, and I'm going to act on that love. I'm going to step into this situation in any way that I can with all that I am to try to minister comfort, joy, joy and peace to you. And here's the key, without trying to fix you. That's right. Fixing people is God's job, not ours. That's right.
1: Well, my friend, wonderful thoughts. Great book. It's been an honor and a privilege to chat with you so far. We've got a whole lot more to talk about in the coming weeks. So dear friends, please come back uh, and listen as we unpack more of Pastor Frank's coming book, Finding God in the Gray, the Lonely Path of Pain. Check it out. Watch for it on Amazon. And by the time you hear this, it might already be out. We don't know how our publisher is going to work on that, but it's coming soon. Also, please visit our website, ourresolutehope.com. Take a few moments, look around, check out our resources, send us an email, sign up for our newsletter. Let us hear from you. We'd love to know what's going through your hearts and your minds and how we can pray for you. And of course, check out the newest part of our website, our members portal, where you get to see uh, some interesting members-only material, old school retro stuff from Pastor Frank's repertoire. Uh, It's free, sign up. And of course, uh, follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and every place that carries our podcast. And as we wrap up, as always, We remind you of the message from Hebrews chapter six, that we have this hope, a living hope, Peter calls it, a resolute hope that's an anchor for our souls. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus.
0: Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you, as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.